Imagine a reality where God was fundamentally distant. Someone, something, which you had heard about, learned about, somewhat knew about, but of whom you had no personal experience whatsoever. From your earliest childhood, you'd been steeped in information about his person, but that was where experience stopped. Actually, that's not quite true. Because due to the information you and your ancestors had always believed about God, most of your experience was a catalog of your own sin, shame, guilt, attempts at self-justification before him. You were taught that God was distant due to the sinfulness of yourself, of your humanity, and that he was very, very angry with you. So it was down to you to do the deeds necessary to remove the offending sin and guilt. So that was the tenor of life, the understanding of God of your childhood. God was far away, and he was very displeased. Otherwise, your life was actually quite pleasant. You were the second child of two loving parents. You were raised on the shore of a large inland sea. Your father was a fisherman. The entirety of your childhood was lived on or near the water. You knew the skies, the seasons, the beauty of creation like the back of your hand. You and your brother were close. You understood each other, looked out for each other. You both knew that when you'd finished your years of schooling, you'd take over your father's fishing business and make a life for yourselves on this lovely stretch of coast. But first came that schooling. It was religious, unfortunately. And so every day, it was reading, writing, arithmetic, but all interwoven with the displeasure of God, your duty to placate him. You'd be looking out the window, yearning to be back out there, wishing you were down by the water, uh, fishing or messing around with your older brother. And yet, in this way, the months and years were marching along. Unbeknownst to you, you were maturing, becoming yourself. You were just finishing up the ending of your schooling. Your brother had already been working with your father these last two years. And you were seeing the way your life was going to work out. Until strange rumors from the South Country. Tales of a teacher on the desert edge of the Jordan. A wild man, dressed in a camel skin, speaking with words that sounded like an authentic prophet of old. You slipped away without telling your family, traveled south to sea. Here's the scene that greeted your eyes at that river's edge. Vast, innumerable crowds of people, sinners, saints, even the religious authorities, standing out in the blazing sunlight facing the waters. In the river, the aforementioned wild man, dressed in the hitherto hinted-at clothing of an old-way-type figure, teaching from within the swirling current. Words like these, Who warned you, you serpent's brood, to escape from the wrath to come? And, I tell you, the axe already lies at the root of the tree. The peculiar heaven-redolent gleaming in the eyes of this man known as John the Baptist, and your sudden desire to be baptized, made new, 
and a disciple of this man. You waded out into the water, but then heard this. It is true, John shouted. I baptize you with water, but the one who will follow me is stronger than I am. Indeed, I am not fit to undo the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the fire of the Holy Spirit. He will come all ready to separate the wheat from the chaff and to clear the rubbish from his threshing floor. Those words resounded in your ears as you waded out, were baptized, came up out of the water repentant, and attached your life to John's. The manner of his days became the manner of your days. You spent your every hour along the river learning from the heart of this man. The days and weeks piled up in the experience of his teaching, his experience of God. You began to sense that God was very different than your whole life had taught you. Perhaps, in fact, you were sensing he was close and preparing to draw even closer. Three Thursdays after that, you were standing under the shade of a tall, broad cypress tree, chatting with John and another Galilean friend named Andrew, he of Bethsaida. The afternoon sun is beating down around you. The greenish waters of the river cascade by. It is very still and very hot. For some reason, the crowds have already come and gone today. It is just you and Andrew and John the baptizer. Suddenly, John's eyes shift. He looks past you at a trail in the distance intently. And these the most consequential words ever spoken in the history of your whole life are the next words John the Baptist says to you. Look, the Lamb, God. You turn and look. A man is coming down a dusty trail from the east and he wades a shallow stretch of the river. His cloak and tunic swirl in the water as he crosses. He pauses in the middle and enjoys the coolness of the overhanging shade trees. Then he completes his crossing and heads northward. You look back at John the Baptist. He smiles, nods his head. Go! You glance over at Andrew, standing next to you. He shrugs his shoulders. Why not? Then passes one of the longest strangest afternoons you can remember, silently following a man who doesn't seem to notice you there. He strides along, whistling a tune to himself, uh, taking this turn, that turn, this trail, that open roadway. He continues walking swiftly northward. Uh, you and Andrew follow, just a few paces behind. Until, hours later, the sun settling lower in the western sky, the workers in the surrounding fields calling it a day at last. With the slightest shift of the heat of the day toward the cool of the evening, while rounding a bend, really a switchback, on the upward ascending pathway he has been walking, the man turns around. He puts his hands on his hips. He gives both you and Andrew a long look. 
his eyes suddenly light with joy. He smiles, then he laughs. And out of that bubbling, joyful, mirthful, delighted sounding laughter sound the words of his first question to you, is his first words to you. What do you want? He asks. Andrew instantly replies, uh, Master, where are you abiding? The eyes of the man grow doubly bright at those words. Come and see, he replies. So you go, and here's what you see. You see the brother of Andrew, a fisherman friend of your father's, known as Simon, brought to this man, who gives him a whole new name, a whole new identity. You see the following day a man walking toward you and your master saying, follow me and that man simply turning and following along. You see that man, Philip, disappearing and then reappearing with another man, Nathaniel, who the master seems already to know. In fact, his words to Nathaniel caused that man to fall upon his knees, exclaiming, Master, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. You see the eyes of Jesus flash at those words. He leans in toward the five of you. Do you believe, he asks, because I told Nathaniel I could see him sitting underneath that fig tree out in his back field? You will see greater things than that. Believe me, you will see heaven wide open and angels ascending and descending around the Son of Man. And with that, he turns and walks off northward again. You and the others follow. Now, friends, I'm going to stop there, and I'm going to tell you that I give you that, the latter half of John chapter 1, and if you are kind of catching my drift, you might sense who I'm saying, this disciple who you're in the sandals of, the shoes of, who he might be. Because over the centuries, scholars have thought that the writer of the Gospel of John was, in fact, one of those disciples of John the Baptist who then went right away when he was pointed toward the Lamb of God. So, I think, and I'm asking you to think, that perhaps that second disciple, the one who went along and followed in the footsteps of Jesus and heard Jesus' first words in the Gospel of John, was John, the beloved disciple himself. And so, as we embark together on this many months of considering all the parts of how Jesus interacted with his first disciples. And I'll remind you again what they are from last week. Encounter, his personality and power, his words, his cross, his resurrection, his ascension, his call to approach the throne of grace with confidence, his pouring out of his Holy Spirit, and then his call to us to extend the realm of the kingdom of heaven. As we look at all nine parts today, we're starting with our first glimpse, our first look at what it meant to encounter Jesus. And what I tried to do, as you noticed in the beginning, describing John's childhood was to give you a sense of the old way. That was the sensation of the old covenant, that God was displeased, that he was distant, far removed because of our sin, which, by the way, is all true, but that really you would never know him. In fact, this week I've been sitting here and thinking, what would it be like if John, 
that beloved disciple, had sat down and had written out his lifetime until the moment of meeting Jesus experience of what it was to sort of, or not really at all, know God. I think this is what he might have written down. Listen. We are writing to you about something which has always existed, distantly, remotely, and which we ourselves have never experienced. Something we have been told about, taught about, instructed to align our lives with, and yet, as we have also been told, is a something very fearful, very displeased. It has been life and death for us to try to do better, to try to appease this distant, angry being that we know not personally. It is our ancient sense of God, handed down to us through the ages, that is the centerpiece of our greatest human anxieties. We repeat, we do not know this God. We have never heard his speaking voice. Our religion is a mystery religion as far as we know. We dream about the day when we might know more, when the distant God of heaven might have more to do with this earth. Indeed, if you ever meet him, please write and tell us about him. We live on a distant hope that one day he will reveal himself. But friends, if you know me, <laughs> if you've ever sat in a room where I'm talking or a retreat where I'm getting a little carried away about Jesus, you know perfectly well that's not what John, the beloved disciple, wrote. In fact, what he actually wrote, what is one of my lifetime favorite pieces of scripture, is this. Listen, this is the opening of 1 John. We are writing to you about something which has always existed, yet which we ourselves actually saw and heard. Something which we had an opportunity to observe closely and even to, to hold in our hands, and yet, as we know now, was something of the very word of life himself. For it was life which appeared before us. We saw it. We are eyewitnesses of it, and we are now writing to you about it. It was the very life of all ages, the life that has always existed with the Father, which actually became visible in person to us mortal men. We repeat, we really saw and heard what we are now writing to you about. We want you to be with us in this, in this fellowship with the Father and Jesus Christ, his Son. We must write and tell you about it because the more that fellowship extends, the greater the joy it brings to us who are already in it. My friends, the joy that Jesus came to propagate, uh, the joy that the early church became famous for, the joy that is meant to be the calling card of every generation of the body of Christ is that we are meant to be people who take God out of the ethereal, distant, cosmic, unknown sense and can say to everyone we meet, oh, I know him. I have had experiences of his alive, living presence, and these experiences have been as, as palpable, as real, as if I had seen and heard him just like his friends did. I have observed his inner workings right here within me by his Holy Spirit. He's reached out and he's touched my inner life with his very hand. Jesus is life, but not the distant, unknown, unknowable, fearful, hidden life of God. No, 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 no. He's encountered me. I've encountered him. And it's the delight of my life to wake up knowing he's with me 
and to attain to him by ever greater experience of his presence. Uh, Like John, I want to repeat this for clarity. Jesus is God. God is Jesus. We may, all of us, know God as intimately as anyone we've ever known. There is literally no separation. God has made his face known to us. It is the glorious, lovely, smiling face of Jesus of Nazareth. Friends, when you think about encountering Jesus for yourself, how does all that sound as an invitation?